When Jim Nadeau learned how to carve ice 40 years ago, he honed his craft by making swans. This was the era of lavish hotel brunches, and at the Marriott in Boston where he was a line cook, a swan made of ice presided over the spread every Sunday. Believe me, back then, it was swans, baskets, fishes, very basic stuff, and swans were the order of the day back in the early 70s. Last week on The Distance, you heard about how Jim left the hotel industry in 1980 to start his own ice carving business, Nadeau's Ice Sculptures, in a suburb of Chicago. He marketed his elaborate sculptures to engaged couples, corporate event planners, and anyone celebrating a special occasion. It's been more than three decades since Jim struck out on his own, but the swans have followed him throughout his career. When he teaches ice carving to students at culinary schools, they still learn how to do swans just like Jim did. On today's mini-episode, you'll find out how swans became icons of the ice-carving world and why that shape still endures. The story starts with dessert. Here's Chris Katke, vice president of the School of Culinary Arts at Kendall College in Chicago. Peach Melba, which was this iconic, you know, ice cream with peach and raspberry sauce, etc., that one of the great chefs of 100 years ago invented a guy by the name of Escoffier. That's French chef Auguste Escoffier who revolutionized the culinary world in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. He created the Peach Melba for Nellie Melba, a famous Australian-born opera singer who stayed at the London Hotel where he was the chef. This was sometime around 1892 when she was performing in a Wagner opera that featured a swan-shaped boat. When Escoffier served the Peach Melba, he included a special flourish. It was served in a swan carved out of ice. So a lot of people sort of point their finger and say, aha, that's where, you know, ice carving worked its way into the culinary arts. But, you know, that was one of the pivotal moments. So we have Escoffier, Nellie Melba, and a Wagner opera to thank for introducing swans to upscale hotel kitchens. And the swan has proved to be a useful teaching tool for new generations of aspiring chefs who learn how to carve ice. Jim taught at Kendall College for many years, and he's seen how the swan demonstrates the fundamentals of weight, balance, and proportion. Of course, you know what a swan looks like. you got the head coming out and the, the wings in the back. Never has there been a class that somebody didn't break the head off by mistake because they cut too much and it was too skinny or the head was too heavy to support it. Ice carving can be very challenging for beginners because it's subtractive. You have to look at a 300-pound block of ice visualize the finished sculpture, and then dive in with a power saw. The swan, with its graceful curves and delicate neck, puts these skills to the test. The other thing I think that's interesting about doing the swan in a block of ice is that there are some techniques you use to make something look deeper than it is, because a block of ice is only about 10 inches or so front to back. If you look at at a swan in reality, it's not that thin. And so there's things you can do that are a little bit sort of optical illusions, some cuts that you make, that makes it look like things are sticking out when they're really not. So, you know, if you look at a wing, it's a bunch of feathers that are sort of on top of each other. Well, the, the only way to make that actually look that way in ice is you have to learn to cut behind each row of feathers. But you only can go in a little bit because otherwise it'll, it'll fall apart. It's about learning how to create something that looks delicate but isn't. Because remember, when you do a functional ice carving, you know, you have it at a wedding, okay? Uh, You want it to be on the table for three hours, four hours, 
And you don't want somebody after 30 minutes to look at it and be like, what is that supposed to be? But at the same time, when you put it up there initially, it's got to look great. And so there's, there's always this tension between, you know, making something that's solid, but at the same time doesn't look solid. And when a swan goes wrong, Jim uses that moment to teach his students about adaptability in the business world. You just simply go, okay, so let's make a butterfly. You have to think about when a mistake occurs. Now, obviously, if your client wants a swan, you can't give them a butterfly, but at least you haven't wasted this piece. So you can take this, you know, if you're the chef or them, you can still put it on your brochure or give it to one of your better clients. There's the different things you can do with it, but you just haven't wasted all this ice. So there's there just so many things you need to learn uh, as you're going along. These days, Jim doesn't get that many requests for swans, maybe just three a year. His creations have gotten more elaborate and detailed. He's made life-size Christmas nativity scenes and leaping horses and a 100-foot-long mountain range that you could rappel down. Jim likes to think that he helped the ice carving industry get beyond swans. Those were definitely the 80s. Everybody wanted swans back then. And then we started tweaking it. Well, you really don't have to have a swan. Really? What else can I have? What do you want? You know, open their eyes. We open their eyes to what's possible and, uh, you know, always, always pushing that envelope. That's it for this mini episode of The Distance. Come back next week for another episode about a long-running business. As always, The Distance is brought to you by Basecamp, the leading app for keeping teams on the same page. Sign up at Basecamp.com slash The Distance.